All right. On this episode of the Park Hills podcast, we're going to look through Revelation 8, verse 6, all the way through chapter 10, and kind of deal with some of the, the things that we weren't able to fit into the sermon. Remember, if you want more information on Park Hills, go to parkhillschurch.com. You can find the sermons that we're talking about there. You can find other podcast information, staff in, information, all that kind of stuff. So parkhillschurch.com is the place to go. some interesting uh, characters show up in uh, this part of Revelation for sure. We've got these uh, crazy locust creatures Mm -hmm. and these horsemen with horses with heads of lions and uh, a lot going on here, and, and we got to go. Okay, what kind of creatures are these? Certainly, there's some questions that are that, that come out of this for sure, right, Chris? Yeah, and I appreciate that question mark since you've been sending everyone to me to ask questions. <laughs> so appreciate it. So here's my answer: What kind of creatures are these? We don't know. No, we don't. And we should be very comfortable, I think, with the mystery that the Bible sometimes gives us. I think sometimes we try so hard to figure things out. And what's ironic to me. And what's super interesting, Mark, is that individuals will, they get frustrated. So for example, I've had people come to me say, I watched a History Channel special on the plagues of Egypt. But when I got done watching the special, I was so disappointed. All they did was they made it all these natural occurrences that happened. And they sort of made it seem like, you know, Moses really didn't do anything and God didn't really do anything. It just sort of happened. And those people who get so stressed about natural occurrences for those things sometimes are the same people who read Revelation 7 through 9, 10, 11, and they go, well, clearly the locusts are helicopters. <laughs> you see the irony yeah. in that? Like there's this moment where they're going, I'm so mad that you're back here looking at all these natural occurrences. And then we get to this part of the book and, and they have difficulty going, well, of course, this is supernatural. So these locusts could be an actual spiritual being that we will never see until this moment in time. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's not a helicopter. That's not to say that it's not a missile. It's not to say that it's not some of the other things that I've heard prophecy experts say, but we just don't know. And what makes sense to us today, a thousand years from now, if Revelation still hasn't fully been acted out the way that we think it's going to be acted out, we might have a totally different set of things that we're looking at. And John, whatever he's looking at, he doesn't fully understand it. So he uses the language that he can to try to pull it down and make sense of it. And I, th- I just think it's ironic that if we're if we're not willing to do that with other parts of the Bible, why do we do it with this part of the Bible? And usually that's because we don't feel comfortable not knowing something. And so we try to make it make sense to us as opposed to saying, you know what, God, this is mysterious and amazing. I don't get it. And I'm going to trust you for it, whatever happens. Yeah, that that demanding clarity and demanding answers when we, we just don't know it, can lead us astray and I think cause us problems and certainly torture our minds. I, I think a couple interesting things here, just what you see just in in chapter nine is you have these initial locust creatures who have the power to torment. Mm-hmm. And that's very significant. But, you know, and torment them for five months in verse five, nine verse five, but not to kill them very specifically. And then 
in this when the sixth angel blew his trumpet and these four horns of the altar and then in these uh, they're re- releasing them or they the, the the masses of the of these whatever they are these demonic horrible things right if you look at, at verse 18 by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by fire smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths again whatever these are the, a key thing to notice is the difference of initially the, the restraint is not to kill them at all, and then God moves his restraint back to allowing a, a third of mankind. So I, there's certainly a, a very noteworthy distinction there between the locusts and then these other uh, beasts that come and, and are allowed to kill. And you almost get the idea that between the fifth and the sixth angel, You've got this tormenting happening for a period of five months, which is really weird. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's no other place in Scripture where that shows up. So it makes you go, something really strange is happening here. But it reminds you a little bit of Job, perhaps, right? The, that the accuser is allowed to do this to Job, but not this. Yep. And so God sort of sets up these boundaries. And so you look at the five months and you go, I don't understand that. Well, okay, you don't need to. Job didn't understand what was going on to him. He just trusted that God was good, and that's what Job was applauded for. And then when you move into death in chapter 6, you almost wonder if the fifth, or not chapter 6, but but uh, trumpet number 6, but trumpet number 5 is just tormenting, trumpet 6 is death, and you go, is this a response of God to people not repenting after the fifth trumpet moving into the sixth? And we have this over and over again in Revelation that we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what exactly is going on when I go... Man, as as I read this, God just seems to just be giving chances after chances after chances. And when people don't respond, then God just is done with this or that or the other thing. And for all the people in, in my world that I know, are, I have some atheist friends or other people who are really smart and they just go, I don't know if God's out there. Maybe he is. They read books like Revelation and they freak out that God is so mean and so judgmental and so wrong. And I, it's always a moment of clarity for them. The light bulb goes on when I say, yeah, but this has been 2,000 years since this was written, just about, and he hasn't done this yet. So if he hasn't done this yet, he's given us a long time to think this through. And it doesn't always turn people, but we've talked about this in past podcasts, this idea that God is so good that he seems shrewd to the rest of the world. But when we move into these judgments, they're like, oh, he's so shrewd. And I go, man, he's given you so many chances. It's time just to turn and choose to follow him. Yeah, he is. His patience is amazing, and even what we see here, that restraint, but -hmm. also a good reminder, he's just plain in charge. (laughs) I mean, he has the authority, even just this idea of being able to to withhold the evil forces for that long until he decides that the time's up. Absolutely. One of the weird things that happens in this chapter, and you didn't get a ton of time to spend in this— in the sermon and really quick, just, just for the, the podcast listeners, how are you loving preaching multiple chapters of revelation in one Sunday? <laughs> you know, in some respects, preaching multiple uh, chapters in one Sunday allows you to just speed past some of the things that are really confusing. <laughs> and maybe, maybe this is one of them, this whole, uh, consumption of a scroll. I believe that's where you're going, right? Maybe that was a, maybe that was an admonition that we haven't made yet publicly, <laughs> but we definitely feel that way. That part of doing a lot of revelation in a Sunday means, yeah, it's a little overwhelming to try to do a lot, 
but it's also really helpful for us because it allows <laughs> us to move some things to the podcast. So yeah, the consumption of the scroll. Let me read it, and then I know you've got some comments on it. So let's let's dive in there. Uh, chapter ten starts with this this odd angel who's got a little scroll in his hand. He's a very powerful angel who has tons of connections to other parts of the Bible, uh, which we get into in, a, in another podcast. Um, but and it'll, and we'll deal with it in the weeks ahead too because he has some other factors that he pulls into. But John is standing there in verse eight, trying to figure out what to do. And the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, which this voice seems to be either God from the throne or the lamb himself. It's God in some form, whether it's the lamb or whether it's, like I said, God, the father who is speaking to John, giving him commands. And this, this voice speaks from heaven and says, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And that's the guy that's introduced to us in the beginning of chapter 10. And then it says, so I went to the angel and, and told him to give me the little scroll, which that's, think of little John walking up to this massive angel. He's like, <laughs> give me the scroll. You know, I just think it's amazing. And then he says, the, the guy hands, the, this angel hands down to John the scroll and says, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What is going on? Yeah, what a crazy, crazy picture here. Uh, I think it helps us to go back to Ezekiel here and Ezekiel uh, chapter 2 and 3. And, and we actually referenced Ezekiel 1 back when we were uh, mm-hmm. looking at the, the creatures. Um, but really the beginning of Ezekiel 3 said, He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. So again, not a new idea here. But he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly uh, with this scroll. I will give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it. And my, uh, in it, it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Hear, hear that, that, that sweetness again. We don't see it being bitter in the stomach quite the same way. But I think, okay, what do we do with this? Um, I think we can see it, first of all, from the Revelation perspective, that this is, again, another affirmation of mm-hmm. John's prophetic role. He, that he was given that in uh, chapter 1, I believe, verse 10, and we see it again in, in 4. So it's because Revelation uh, chapter 10 there ends with go and, and right. take the message. So that's that affirmation again. Well, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And you've been given the words. I mean, that they're, they're, you've consumed them. Um, and... For Ezekiel and and even Jeremiah, um, that you get this idea that they're taking it in, they're they're taking in the message of God, they're consuming the scroll or the words of God completely, uh, finding them sweet. We see that through all of them, mm-hmm. and they're identifying with the with and and even committing to or, or or dare I say submitting to God's message. They're they're taking it in completely without without any holding back, so to speak. Um, and, and that Jeremiah, there's a Jeremiah passage there too, Chris, that in uh, Jeremiah 15, 16, you know. Yeah, that, so Jeremiah says this, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Right? And, and it, 
they became a joy to him. So I guess you'd call that the sweet. But if you go on even a verse further, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. So that almost could suggest the bitterness of it, too, in mm-hmm. that in that you, you've got, like in back in Ezekiel's case, you know, what the scroll he was containing, if you read earlier, it was saying things like written on front and back were the lamentations and warnings and woes. So what he's consuming, which is sweet to him, because uh, it's the word of God and he values it, really has a bitter taste to it ultimately or bitter in his stomach because the message is to these people who are rebelling and really are not going to respond. So here, go take this message that nobody's going to like, that they're not going to respond to. Certainly there, there's a, a bitter element to that too, kind of like what we see with John. Well, and that's the thing that we see all throughout Scripture, which is why Revelation, I don't believe that it's completely figurative. And I, I want to be very clear because we've even made some comments, even in the podcast or in the sermons, like this might be figurative, but we don't. We aren't taking that position, but I understand why people would based on the fact that there are so many other places in scripture where similar ideas are used. And so you start to ask the question, is John just building a beautiful, amazing, figurative message here that we're supposed to listen to and and take? And I think, yes, that's part of it. But I also think that it could happen at the same time. And I think that's what we're saying is going to happen with Revelation. We aren't sure of timelines. We aren't sure of how it's going to play out. But this is a common description all throughout scripture, right? I mean, Psalm 19 Verse 10 is talking about the law of the Lord, and it says the law is more to be desired than gold, even more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of honeycomb, right? Or if you go to Psalm 119, verse 103, you have, uh, do you have it there? Yeah, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, again, that that theme again, you know, in this case is, is the psalmist saying, I've just eaten your words. I don't think so. I think this comes across a little more figuratively, but this idea of going, your words are so rich and so pure and so right. I can't help but love them and, and want to embrace them. And, and it's sweet to me that your truth, you know? And I think we, we all know that. I mean, I, if you follow Jesus at all at any point in your life, you know that when you used to do things your way, it didn't go the way it was supposed to go in your mind even. Like how many times are we dissatisfied with either a relationship that we're chasing that we get into it and we're like, oh man, what was that, right? Or a friendship that lets us down and doesn't quite go we want it to go. Or we get that new promotion and we don't realize that as the promotion starts to play out, uh, it, it didn't come with the trappings that we thought it was, right? We got more money, but now we're working 80-hour weeks or something. And there's this constant idea in Scripture that when we get what we want, it never quite feels the way it's supposed to. Yet, when you consume God's Word, it is sweeter than honey. But as a preacher, and, and, we, and I, I, you know, this is kind of that thought that we could probably spend multiple podcasts just talking about, 
But being given that sweetness of honey is one thing. And I, and we both agree, God's word is sweeter than honey. It does what it needs to do. Like when I follow God's word, I never regret my decisions, right? When I do what God wants me to do, I'm always just overwhelmed with his goodness and his mercy to me. And I just, man, when I'm operating in God's word, I just feel like I'm alive in a way that I can't explain. But then God says, I want you to go tell the people that message. Mm-hmm. And that honey in my mouth starts to taste a little more bitter because I'm like, wait, <laughs> they don't hear what I'm saying. Like they misunderstand, right? I can say this and they hear this. Or, you know, we, we make a comment in a sermon that, that I think is exactly what God's word is saying. And then we get five emails like, well, you didn't do this or, or I can't believe you believe this. And it's like, so I get John's feeling here. I get Ezekiel's yeah. feeling. I get Jeremiah, it, why Jeremiah wept. I, I get why John here is re- eating this thing going, oh, it tastes so good. And then what do you want me to do with it? And then that last verse in, in chapter 10 going, I want you to go prophesy these words. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to do that. Right? Well, even just think of, you know, how Elijah had messages to carry, but he didn't always uh, love the tasks that was before him. And he had his moments of... <laughs> Of difficulty, you know. Even just in my own personal life, I mean, just even going occasionally to familiar passages like Romans twelve. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what it, what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, sometimes you can read those passages and go, yeah, yeah, I'm with that. And other times you you find yourself stopping going, oh, man, the Spirit of God brings conviction because, man, there are parts of my life that show more evidence of being conformed to this world than being transformed by the renewal of my mind. Right. And, and those are those moments where the Word of God isn't any less sweet, but it's truth kind of comes with a swift kick to the head and or a gut punch if you will in that that moment of conviction of going man this is this is a tough moment right and it's not I, i'm i'm going to reject the word of god it's just like oh man that that's hitting hitting really close right now and but i think the good news in those moments at least for me chris is that those moments of conviction when reading scripture, um, are a reminder of the, that my faith is alive and the <laughs> spirit of God is moving and the spirit of God is speaking to me. And even when it's something that's hard to hear, there's evidence of relationship. You know, there's evidence of, of that, um, spirit's action in my life, even if it's saying something tough to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one thing to project you know, you're reading John and he's, he's a little nervous about having to say things. But I also think that what you're saying is totally right. When we, when we consume the sweet honey of scripture, sometimes it hits us because we realize how messed up we are and it convicts us all the more. And so maybe even John's apathy or, or fear of this, whatever word you want to use there, I'm not sure he was ever apathetic, but you know, just this idea of, man, my stomach's really churning. I've had those moments, right, where I'm reading through Scripture. I'm going, this is so good. This is so good. Then I hit a verse, and I go, I don't know if I believe that. Not not in any way that's meaningful. And so I think it's easy for me to say, I get it as a preacher to preach to people, and they don't get it. It's even more difficult for me when, I, when I'm reading, and I go, oh, I'm not doing this, and i got to get this right. 
But I do love that idea that it, it, it shows a, a relationship that I have with God. It shows that I'm alive and well. It shows also that I'm imperfect, that I'm a long ways away from being what I'm supposed to be, and that God's fully in charge, and he knows that I'm as messed up as I am, and he still loves me and gives me mercy. So all of that, I think, is part of what's being wrapped up in chapters 8 to 10, right? Yeah. And I th- and think, too, of what whatever John is seeing, however well he describes it or however well we can picture it in our minds, he's seeing immense judgment. Even go back to, uh, to the the number that would be 200 million of these this forces. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a good good case for, he didn't know the exact number. I mean, it says that, but this idea of going, it, this is just an uncountable, innumerable right. uh, amount of these. But but what is he seeing? He, he's seeing a vision of, of this horrendous judgment. And again, having lo- loved the word of God like he does and loving his Savior like he does and having the visions he's had, plus the personal contact with Jesus like he did, but to to see what he's seeing, we're just reading a description of it, but to see what he's seeing, how could that not be bitter? He's describing massive, brutal, bloody, nasty, fiery judgment, Mm -hmm. and you'd have to not have a soul or a heart or any sense of decency to not find bitterness in that right. just to, to that's a, a bitter pill to spa, swallow to use the that phrase yeah i love that it's a good yeah it's probably a good closing thought i one of the most haunting comments i've ever heard uh was was from c.s lewis and it was just that the door to hell might be locked from the inside and I think it's easy for us to read Revelation and get mad at God for allowing these judgments to kind of play out. But there's a key. <laughs> there's, there's a way out. And it's always been there. It's not like God has suddenly decided to, oh, I'm going to share it now. It's, it's, it's late enough in the game. It's been preached from the beginning of time. Somehow Enoch figured out how to walk with God. Somehow Noah found how to walk with God. You know, Abram, you go through the, the, the scriptures, there are individuals who are so committed to God and his word that they, they just, they have a relationship with him. And then Jesus breaks the floodgates wide open and, and draws tons of us in. And that message has been preached for 2000 years now. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. So surrender yourself to me. Let me be the one that guides you in and I'll free you. But instead we're the type of human beings that close the door and lock it. And then we're like, I can't believe he won't come get me. And it's like, no, you know, or I can't believe he's judging on the people this way. You have the pass. Like you have access to everything everyone has to get out of this. And yet you're refusing to do so. So hopefully that either is a, is an, is a convicting and encouraging thing, or I even in some ways hope it haunts some people and they go, well, I'm just going to repent now and I'm yeah. gonna start walking with Jesus. Some kind of response. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Park Hills podcast. Once again, go to parkhillschurch.com. You can find a ton of resources there, tons of other stuff if you want. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time.